cross it in, looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hi, y'all. Five Track Final. Chase M. Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer. Jeff Patrick from 19.9. The game, Dirty South Soccer, and the Mothership sometimes as well is over there. Say hey, Joe. Hey, Sam. What's going on? Hey, man. We have we have a special guest today with us. Uh, the founder is in the building. Uh, Rob Ustry, all the way in Augusta. How we doing, Rob? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. We, yes. we need someone to come on here and, and kind of help us sort through... The chaos and, and sadness and loneliness of not just life, but the Atlanta United offseason here. Uh, some interesting news today. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, Atlanta United has a puppy now. They post another picture of it. That's pretty cool. And nothing else happened. The puppy. I was actually giving the club a lot of credit when that when the when it first happened. Uh, the, the whole puppy revolution. Because it was such a dark, dark time in Atlanta United. But then I feel like they just leaned into it too much. And I was like, okay, this, this was fun for like a day. But uh, let's get some signings in. Yeah, no, I applauded the, the transparency of it. it. It takes a lot of bravado to go in and just be that openly attempting to soothe people with a puppy. Like if you were going to make a joke about how you were going to make someone feel better, you would say, I don't know, just hand him a puppy. They literally handed us a puppy. And it yeah. was good for a little bit, but now the puppy is like chewing up our shoes and shit, and we're, well, we're sick of it. It was it, like it, it's really amazing the powers that a puppy holds. I went, I was there that day, and it's like you know everybody's just kind of standing around, kind of just killing time before the event starts, you know. And then as soon as the puppy enters the room, everyone just starts going, "Ooh!" You know, it's like everybody's <laughs> mood just completely changes, and Doug uh, becomes like a lovable pet owner. Wow. Making Doug lovable is is a heck of a challenge. Congratulations <laughs> to Spike for for accomplishing that. Uh, in more important, seriousish news, uh, Atlanta United actually does bring someone in today. Uh, Matthias, is that what we're going with? Um, sure. Ma- sure. Ma- Ma- I would Matthias. say Matthias probably. Matthias. Yeah. Matthias. We'll go Matthias. Matthias Rosetto, which I probably butchered all of that. Fuck it. I don't care. Uh, midfielder coming in from Brazil. Uh, here's really the only definitive thing we know. Look, people can, people can say they have these really grand opinions on him and everything like that, but they're probably lying to you unless they've just absolutely followed his career. Because uh, there's no telling how he's going to fit into things. There's no telling really what kind of player he was. I mean, you can watch YouTube highlights all you want. But what we do know definitively for a fact is that he has Bama bangs, and that's really important to me. Yeah, like somebody pointed that out on Twitter earlier today, and I just thought that it was, I just appreciated it a lot, the, the fact that they would notice such a thing, and I feel like it's very on-brand on for us to kind of notice that as well. i got to say, though, you know, and Rob's been talking about this a lot in our Dirty South Soccer writers' room. I mean, the, the handsome quotient is really depleting fast this offseason. The loss of Tito, loss mm. of Gressel. And you've got, um, well, I don't want to, you know, say anyone is bad looking. Everybody is beautiful in their own way. But um, yeah. yeah, we do have more guys that look like they would hit you if you said something like <laughs> slightly inconsequential to them. Though that's kind of exciting to me. I don't know. We need we need more angry, 
upset people to be, especially in the midfield, which apparently is kind of the role uh, he, he's going to fill. Uh, but, but besides the looking like a, uh, a pre-law student at the University of Alabama, what do you guys actually know? What can you actually take away from this signing right now? Rob, Rob, you go. Yeah, go, um, buddy. <laughs> like I don't, I'm not a, a deep dive stats person like you guys. I every time you know we get linked to a signing, I go straight to YouTube. Like Sam said, I try to you know just look at their look at how they play as best as you can from highlights. I mean, it's very hard to tell. Um, from what I see, looks looks sort of a, a hybrid between a box to box midfielder and an attacking midfielder. I think. Uh, Felipe said on Twitter he's as close to Miguel Amaran as we've ever had since he left. So stylistically, obviously not talent-wise. So I think you're gonna he's gonna be an attacking player. I think I put a you know just a quick lineup prediction out on Twitter saying that if we're playing the same formation we did against um, the Swedish team we played Elfsborg. Um, I could that's, I could see him in the attacking or in the, as one of the two midfielders I could see him in the more attacking role with either you know Remedi or Heinemann playing behind him. So he's going to be a more box to box midfielder, but I could see him being a utility guy. Like I, I'm, I, I still don't know if he's going to be a straight up starter for us. If he's going to be a, you know a guy that fills in here or fills in there. Yeah, I, you know it's interesting that you described him that way, and that's the way I've seen him described a lot so far. And to me, it's like, isn't this the way we describe Emerson Heinemann a lot too? <laughs> Where he's like this central midfielder that's more attacking than defensive, but uh, but can play kind of is a bit of a two way midfielder. I just I'm curious to see how that shakes out between Rosetto and Heinemann and. Can they both play in the same lineup? Can they? Does it have to be one or the other? Uh, I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see how it shakes out. I think one thing that my main thought about all this, and I totally get, you know, people get excited for a new signing, and I'm certainly not um, not excited about it. I mean, this team has we've been clamoring for a central midfielder as has Frank DeBoer for a while now, but I would just say, like kind of. Um, urge people to use use caution <laughs> with the, with the signing because especially a player coming from Brazil where we have well I guess we do have one Brazilian in uh Luis Fernando but um I mean he'll mainly play with Atlanta United too what I meant my my point being is that you know it could take him some time to settle into this team I think that's kind of that was kind of my first reaction I was like okay how long will it take for him to kind of get with the program. Cause as we saw last year, it took a lot of the players last year, some time to kind of settle into what Frank DeBoer wants. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how quickly he's able to fit in. I even asked Justin this morning on Twitter, I was like, Justin, you know, any uh, Portuguese? And he said, he knows a little bit. So I guess he'll be doing the translating for him. All this to say that I think that there could potentially be a little bit of a culture, not, a, not an issue, but it just could take him a little bit longer. That's my, that's my main concern with Rosetto. From what I've seen on the highlights, it seems like he's a guy who's clearly talented enough to play in this league and will definitely make an impact as long as he can kind of get up to his optimal performances. At the same time, it's a change of scenery for him. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about him starting slow. It, it may be kind of a, a fresh start for him, though. From, from my understanding, there was a little bit of a, a falling out of sorts anyway, maybe just in form, I guess, uh, from where he's coming from Brazil. Uh, I, I think maybe some issues with the coach as well. Uh, which is great because now he's he's working with a coach who's really known for his man management. Um, so nothing will go wrong there at I, all. I, 
I also want to say, you know, so back when I was in college, I would stay up until like three or four in the morning, just like watching Fox Soccer Channel and stuff. And at like two in the morning, they would do this. There would be this show that was like a highlights recap of the week in the the Brasiliao or whatever that the top league is called there. And I always just found it the wildest, wackiest soccer I've ever seen in my life. Just like guys running through open space in midfield, you know, doing crazy tricks and like all kinds of just wacky stuff happening. Goal, cool, keeping errors, you know, just like the craziest um the craziest amazing goals and also the the craziest amazing mistakes that happen. So I'm just curious to see how this all kind of translate to MLS, which is kind of the same with the crazy wild mistakes and crazy wild stuff that happens on the field. So it'll be interesting to see kind of see and get a get kind of a you know, a way to kind of compare the two leagues and how they'll translate. Interesting thing that Rob kind of brought up is that Miguel Almiron comparison of source he's obviously not the replacement not in skill level or, or anything like that uh, but if he can kind of fit that profile of someone who can make those runs that bring the ball forward and can kind of, kind of connect uh, the front three with the midfield which is something that we really missed a lot last year we talked about last year a lot with Miguel being out I, I think that's huge from y'all under, y'all's understanding is that something that he can probably do with that same kind of Almiron profile. And, and Rob, you may have more insight on that. Yeah, I mean, on, it, I think it's such a nitpicky thing to, like, say he's Almiron instead of Nagby. If, when you look at it, they, they were they both did basically the same thing. Like you said, connecting the defense to, mm-hmm. to offense. Like, we don't have – we didn't have, you know, that beautiful build-up play in the midfield where you're connecting three and four passes – when we were, you know, at our height, we just had that one Almiron darting run, you know, creating attack. So Nagby did that a lot. Um, he was a more comp- composed type of player. So, yeah, obviously connecting more passes. But I think that's exactly what Rosetta's going to bring. Like, we saw it. I think we – I don't want to get too far ahead, but we saw that against um, Elfsborg. We when we controlled play, we really did. But when we, when we got, when we sat back, we really had trouble, you know, connecting to the, to the attack. So I think Rosetta is really going to help uh, bring the ball forward with it, whether it be dribbling or finding better passes. I don't know. Yeah. He, he seems like a player who, um, who could fit the mold of a guy that, uh, of a profile that Frank DeBoer talked about a lot last year where he wants, runners essentially he wants players making runs out of midfield into the box area at least to help joseph because you know he's so often just the only one making runs especially during atlanta's period of the season where they were getting all the clean sheets and racking up some wins but not scoring a lot of goals and it seemed like joseph was just kind of the only one that had an expectation of getting in the box and trying to make something happen in that regard so i think that uh rosetto is a guy who could who could be that guy he might not he might be a guy who sits a little bit more off the ball but um, you know, he, he seems to have that one of that kind of drive to, uh, want to get into those attacking spaces. Gun to your head. And I'll start with Joe here. Uh, what's the starting midfield three right now? If we're assuming there's going to be a three. Um, well, like if I had, I think if Frank DeBoer were to put out like his best team in a, in a cup final tonight, today, I don't think Rosetto would be in it because of the experience factor, just like, you know, his cohesion with the team. I think it'll take some time before Rosetto becomes a first choice player, um, you know, that can fit in with the group. I think what we're more likely to see 
is him coming off the bench in these early days in the season. I think he will work his way into the best 11 by the end. So I guess like right now, I think the, the midfield that would go out there would be like a, a Lorenowitz, Rometty, Heinemann three. I don't, I don't, uh, it, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> God, it depends. like a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it depends on what kind of formation you're playing, but I mean, I think that those are probably, if you're playing a four-three-three with jo- with uh, Joseph Pitti and Barco as the front three, I don't know. Maybe Rosetta would would maybe his talent is clearly just good enough to get him into the starting lineup. I just feel like it's going to take some time for him to settle in. It's completely fair. You talked about experience a bit too, and he's not coming in completely raw. He did make seventy appearances uh, down in Brazil. As a pretty young dude, twenty-three year old, coming into this. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting to kind of see, you talked about it a bit before with, with Justin having to maybe brush up on his Portuguese a little bit. It, it's interesting to see Atlanta kind of tap into that Brazilian market in a way we, we haven't seen yet. You know, uh, we've seen Paraguay, we've seen Argentina, a lot of course, but, but not Brazil yet, which is a little strange considering the history there and the culture there. Uh, and Rob, I wonder what you think here. Is this a sign that Maybe Atlanta has maybe a few more feelers there now and may be able to pull a few more players. Yeah, I mean, common sense says that you want to try to pull from the best markets out there. And obviously Brazil and Argentina are going to be the best markets you can pull from that line up with the transfer market in in the United States. So um, it makes sense if you think you maybe if you've tapped out of the Argentina market, or you've pulled everything you can from there. It makes sense to go, you know, search in Brazil and try to find some hidden gems, or even maybe the next DP when that slot opens up. So I think when there was a rumor about maybe six months ago or a year ago, they were looking at um, Jefferson Soltado from um, Santos. He's a uh, he plays in Brazil. He's not Brazilian, but he plays in the Brazilian league, and I think that makes perfect sense to you know open up that market for the next, you know, pipeline. Well, I'm a, I'm a little worried about it now because, uh, you know, I feel like it's like a, uh, one part of my morning routine is to like wake up from Rob sending me some, uh, some articles from Brazil or somewhere else in the, in South America about a player that is being linked to Atlanta United. And I was able in the past to always just kind of see like, Oh, Brazil discarded. It's probably fake, you know? Um, they're just trying to uh, attract some attention, but now, now Brazil seems like a, seems like a realistic market now that Atlanta has actually bought someone from there. So it opens up the whole a whole Pandora's box of players that we could potentially get. Which I, you know, they're good players. It's a uh, it's obviously a hotbed of talent, so it's exciting in that sense. But uh, just personally, it's going to mean I have to put a little bit more scrutiny into all these things, which is annoying because I don't like to do work. We know. We know. We we would definitely classify you as one of the laziest members of the team. That's exactly what I think when I think Joe Patrick working, I don't know, like six jobs at a time every day, it feels like. Um, one South American in, and then we have another one go out right before that. Uh, do you want to move on and kind of give a quick eulogy anyway? I, I feel like we've given too many eulogies so far this offseason. A quick eulogy for, for Tito, who whose beautiful, beautiful face leads our lives, and we talked about it before, but the handsome quotient, it just depleted, shambles right now, a total shambles, and also a, a soccer loss, too, I guess we really want to talk about that. Yeah, the uh, the the club put out a tweet saying, like, you know, um, thanks to, like, Tito, uh, he's a special, mem- you know, he's been a special person for the history of our club, or whatever, whatever, um, 
Yeah, been, I put out a tweet from the Five Strike Final account saying, like, we've been losing a lot of special people here lately. You know, it's like Gressel. I feel like they could use the same tweet for all these people. Gressel, Leandro Gonzalez-Perez, Tito. It's like all these, uh, the true founding members. <laughs> That's going to piss off a lot of people that I just said that. But I'm a founding member, too, all right? <laughs> already attacking the supporters that's great um it's also been the it's on top of that it's been the thanks graphics which has become a meme uh yeah. on in the twitter sphere things like that like seeing the thanks next to spike and things like that has that's been, been very le- very well done legitimately good impressed. soccer culture legitimately wow. good soccer culture those those memes i'm all so, for them so maybe as the players change where our culture changes too and, and maybe we're getting better for it I, I don't know it, it's still miserable though to see a player as popular as Tito leave and you know leave yet another hole and essentially the, the fan base's love affair with this team right like there's less there's less and less people to really attach on to at this point uh, because people keep leaving our lives um, and Tito is one of those that was good for singular moments. Uh, not saying that he was bad in the other moments, but those singular moments that really stand out, uh, the first Orlando goal, the second Orlando goal, um, the goal against Red Bulls, which Rob wrote really well about uh, on DSS. Go check that out. Uh, he, he had a knack for being in the right place at the right time and either launching it into about the 40th row of the supporter section or scoring a banger, uh, and that's an attribute that I think we're really going to miss. Um, and Rob, you wrote about that Red Bulls goal. Uh, it's tough to leave that behind now. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't want to like sit here and pat myself on the back or you know no, take myself away. away from it, but I've pretty much accepted Tito is gone for like in the past eight months just because it's so plainly obvious that Frank DeBoer just doesn't rate him like. He's he's kept him on the bench when he could have started him or given him minutes to just what for whatever reason it's just been incompatible incompatible between those two so I've pretty much accepted he was gone it's made it a little bit easier to take even though it's still pretty hard just because he's such a sentimental favorite for me um it's, it's gonna hurt not having him but I think in the end it was probably a good move just to get his salary off the books and open up that space even though. We still have, I mean, we keep saying that for everybody we let go, and we still have only brought in one, you know, pretty good <laughs> player. So it's kind of hard to keep making that uh, excuse. Yeah, I, I it was funny because I was I was talking to somebody about the Tito news the other day. I think it was actually the new the day that the news broke. And obviously, for me and for both of you guys, it's it was a you were feeling the same way I was, which was like you know someone had just twisted the the knife in your heart a bit. And I was talking to somebody about it who this person was is someone who maybe hasn't really been following the club as closely for as long um and they were like yeah but you know he wasn't even that big of a part you know he wasn't even that big of a part of the team anyway last year and so uh you know it makes total sense to move him on free up his his salary space and get somebody else in and i was like oh yeah I guess, I guess that is right you know he was taking up a, a large chunk of the targeted allocation money, which can be spent for someone else that as to what Frank or uh, Rob was saying that Frank can use um, to better utility. So I think that for that reason, it, it makes complete sense, but it is still, it's still, you know, it, it's heart wrenching. I, uh, you know, I, we've all written about him, shared emotional moments because of him. 
Uh, so if it feels like, you know, it's tough, it's just tough to see those players go, but that's the cycle. That's the life cycle of a player and being a soccer fan, a soccer, you know, supporter and follower. You know, it's interesting. We talk about Frank not rating him and yet we kind of go into the analytics a little bit and Teodal football has a piece coming, I believe, and he's already handed it at it to, to us. Uh, but but looking at the statistics uh, of wingers and attacking midfielders in, in MLS history, uh, the the, ex, the expected goals and the expected assists for 90 and everything like that is up there in some really, really elite company. Uh, think just below Vela and Almiron. Uh, he's right up there, and that's wild. Like, I I basically told Teodal his math was wrong when I first saw it, right? <laughs> like, I actually didn't yeah. believe it, uh, but... When he was out there, he made things happen one way or another, I guess. But can you all kind of go into this a little bit and just kind of explain to, to folks who may not quite be able to reckon it with it? What exactly about the contrasting styles uh, of DeBoer and uh, Tito in his play style has made him not a fit, at the very least, in Frank's eyes? And I'll go to Joe with that. To me, it's that Tito was, um, he's kind of a more off the ball threat. He was a guy who was always, you know, he was stretching the defense, couldn't, you know, threatening to make a run from out wide into the box. Obviously, he scored his fair share of goals uh, in his career, especially under Tata Martino. But I felt like Frank wanted somebody that was just a little bit better on the ball and that he could use fullbacks to essentially do what Tito Tito's role lots of times was, which was to make the pitch wide and, and, and spread it out. Um, I, I just think that Frank feels like if he gets an, uh, an attacking midfielder in who can come inside and combine a little bit more, that's the kind of player that he wants. One of the noticeable things I remember when I was trying to figure out kind of what the quote unquote style of Frank DeBoer was when he came to Atlanta, when you go back and watch the Ajax teams, there's lots of the thing I noticed was there's lots of dummies Lots of like that kind of interchange where it's either a dummy or, you know, a one, two, you know, centrally. And I think that that's kind of more the player that he wants. And that's, you know, I think anybody who's watched Tito knows that that's not really his game. He's more of a direct straight line threat who can be effective in the right system. But I just don't think that it really fits with what Frank DeBoer wants out of that position. Rob, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that sums it up perfectly. I I think the difference between Tito or difference between De Boer and Tata is summed up perfectly between the difference between say Tito and say Barco. Barco struggled to get in uh get in the team under um under Tata just because I not really I guess it's stylistic but you know discipline or whatever but I think that's the same for Tito just because Tito represented Tata's style of pin years back go forward at all costs while DeBoer's uh, more focused on technical ability, slowing the game down, playing those little intricate passes, which Tito really wasn't good at, honestly. And I think Joe summed it up perfectly. That's that's the reason why Tito really struggled to get minutes into DeBoer. Well, he's gone, and it hurts, and it sucks. That's no fun. Uh, but it does kind of leave this interesting hole, I guess, that there are essentially no wingers left, right? Uh, on this team, and how do you think going forward that Atlanta is going to kind of 
maybe not compensate, but but shape the team in a way that makes that not an issue in any way. Well, I, you know, I, I kind of said this just a, a second ago, but I think that Frank wants the fullbacks to be those quote-unquote wingers. And especially if they're in a back three, they can obviously be much more aggressive in that respect and kind of fulfilling that role of being way, way out wide and and being a threat to get in behind um, despite the fact that they're quote-unquote like a defender or whatever. I just think that that's the way he's going to want to play. And he wants those, what would traditionally be the wingers, to be more players who come into the central areas and pack that zone. And I think that MLS defenses might struggle a little bit more to try to, you know, deal with that kind of interplay, that kind of style of play, if they can get it right. It, you know, it's it's going to... It, I think it's a gamble, to an extent, to rely on the fullbacks to do that. And it's going to make, mean that the team uh, really needs to pay attention to its shape uh, and make sure that when they turn the ball over, they aren't totally exposed with those fullbacks way high up the pitch and not having the bodies in central midfield to try to, you know, deal with those those transition moments. So I think it's going to be big, and I think that that's why with Frank's tactical philosophy, it's going to be even more important for the team to be on the same page this year because he's kind of, it seems like he's really, he's kind of going to the next level of his, you know, of the tactical development of the team. Those transition moments are what scares me. Yeah. You know, especially getting back in defense. If we're counting on the width to come from them, if you're counting on, you know, maybe at some point Brooks Lennon, if he's in for, for Franco, you know, I'm not sure uh, I can expect Brooks to get back that quick. I know how athletic Franco is and he's decent recovering, you know, uh, but then even worse, you look across and to the left side and, and what is Edgar Castillo going to be the one to get up and down the field? Like he's Andy Robertson. I, I kind of doubt it. Right. Yeah. And then you're asking George Bello, who's, you know, still all of 17 years old to, you know, go on a marathon every game. It's it's a ton to ask, and it kind of freaks me out a little bit, if that is the plan. Yeah, I mean, I think despite the team's pretty good defensive record last year, I don't think they were all that great in those moments. Or sometimes those moments got away from them, and it required a lot of reliance on Miles Robinson to right. just be Miles Robinson and do the thing where he just goes and stops a counterattack by himself. <laughs> and maybe the team can rely on him to do that this year. I mean, I'm sure there will be times when that is is required. But I think that, um, you know, Frank has always talked about the team kind of moving in its shape forward and back um, with each other. And, you know, Rob was making this point earlier in the show. He was talking about that Elspore game, which I think we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but the, about the fact that the team struggled at times when they were too far deep and they couldn't connect to the attack, that's going to be the thing that is kind of what Atlanta's success hinges on all season is how well can that shape kind of maintain itself in defense and then in transition and into the attack and then in reverse to go from the attack and then be able to recover into a defensive defensive position and keep control of the game in that sense. Well, <sighs> It's going to be weird. I don't know, man. It, all of this is weird right now. I, I feel like new people have like moved into my house or just kind of living there, and I don't really quite know who they are yet or what they do and, and what like time they get showers and stuff so we can plan it out to, to get going in the morning and, and anything like that. It just feels weird and feels awkward, and I don't know whose people are right now, and it's scary. It's scary, uh, but we'll always at least have 
have the memories of, of Tito and Kressel and everyone like that, I guess. Uh, and that being said, I, I kind of wanted, as our last little thing, to close out our, our quick eulogy that pretty much got off track uh, as far as focusing on Tito. Do y'all have a favorite Tito moment in general? And it doesn't even have to be in-game. Uh, anything y'all can think of. And uh, Joe, go first. Well, yeah, so my kind of off the wall, we're, I'm not going to go with one of the obvious ones, but there was a goal, that the well, the first Orlando goal that he scored, which was a big one. It was in Bobby Dodd Stadium, and the reason it really stands out to me is because I made a video about it one time, just kind of about the build-up to the goal and how it came about and everything, but I, I think that that's the reason I always remember it. But I loved his his reaction to it, Tito's, was like after he scores the goal. He didn't have a lot, a huge role in the actual build-up, but he was there uh, for the little combination and finish at the end. And it was right at the end of like last kick of the game type of stuff. And, uh, I just loved how he, like his instinct was to go jump the ad hoardings and go up to the fans as close as he could. I'm sure if, if the, if the fence were a little bit lower, the, uh, the brick wall were a little bit lower then maybe he would have tried to make the leap. But I just like that. He, uh, went over and celebrated with the fans after he scored that goal against Orlando. Yeah, obviously mine is, I mean, I'm not going to harp on about the Red Bulls goal just because I wrote an article article about it on our website, DirtySouthSoccer.com. Um, I've heard of it. It's, I mean, it's it's a bit inflammatory <laughs> and clickbait, but I mean, it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, uh, other other memories, I mean, there's just so many from Tito. He scored some big goals. Um, even had some big assists in his first, first two years for Joseph. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to miss like his heart His I know it's very cliche, but he just, it just felt like he loved the club. If every time he played, it felt like he wanted to win. He wanted, he wanted to win for the fans. He gave everything he had. And I'm just going to miss that. Honestly. I think I'm going to go a little bit different here and say that one of my favorite Tito memories is, is maybe not his brightest moment. Uh, MLS Cup, Atlanta is up to at this point. Playoff Franco has already scored. It's 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 in the bag, right? Uh, and it's getting around 80-something-ish minute, if I'm remembering right. Tito gets in behind uh, and somehow finds himself in a pretty tight angle on the keeper and, and on goal from the left side and just crushes the ball probably <laughs> about 20 rows up and, and of course no one can see because the flags and everything like that and i think someone gets it right in like the head and it was beautiful because it was pure him in that moment to, to not only <laughs> miss the way he missed you know it was one of those it was all or nothing in the way he shot the ball uh but to want to so badly be a part uh, of that moment to be on the score sheet and to give fans one last big thing to celebrate that season. Uh, it, it kicked ass and Tito kicked ass and it's going to be, it's going to be a bummer to not see him around anymore and, and not see his beautiful face on Instagram and things like that. Um, one thing I will say about Tito is that he wore clothes. Joe Patrick, do you wear clothes? I do. I do. And you know what clothes I've been wearing a lot of recently is, uh, from our partners at Lucid FC, who are bring, help bringing this podcast uh-huh. to everybody, yeah, they've I've I've been talking about it recently, but the, the parka, man, it's been an absolute lifesaver because it's been raining like crazy. Fortunately, we have a nice sunny day; I don't have to resort to it today. But um, it's really cool clothes. It's uh, I'm I was just actually looking at, at some of the the quotes from the um 
the actual journalists who talk about these things. And uh, the New York Times called them close for the street, close for the club, which is kind of what they are. It's like you could kind of go anywhere with them. You could definitely wear the stuff to a match and then uh, you could wear it to somewhere a little bit dressier as well. They've got all kinds of stuff, trousers, outerwear, hats, shirts, hoodies, and hopefully we'll be able to give some of that stuff away at some point during the season. I think they want to give some some stuff away to fans and you people may have seen it around the logo is it looks like a it looks like a hashtag that's like t- tilted diagonally it's kind of cool looking and i've been wearing the hat around a couple times i've actually been asked about it uh like what is that what is that brand so if you if you've seen that that's what it is i feel like i'm starting to they're starting to get their brand out there a little bit more l- lately so yeah thanks to uh, lucid fc for uh bringing the show to y'all I, I have been on A Street and I have seen a club before, so I feel like you know I could go there and, and really own that look. Yeah, I'm so still I'm still trying to uh, work up the self confidence to actually step inside one one day, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe when you do, it, you'll, you'll at least look good doing it, right? Yeah. Uh, For sure, you can. Well, let me let me just. Uh, sorry, yeah. uh, I'm just just. If you want to check them out, you can check them out at lucidfc.us or lucidfc.co.uk and just. Browse their stuff or at LucidFC on Twitter. There you go, Sam. Now you can continue. Speaking of looking good, Atlanta United uh, preseason looking pretty okay so far. We did this last year, too, where I think we beat Seattle by like 40. And of course, that ended up not mattering uh, in the preseason because they came out in Champions League and got thumped a little bit. Uh, but but so far, things looking pretty, pretty okay. Uh, a 1-1, the most recent result against, uh, we have this listed as the Fighting Elves. I didn't watch jack of this because y'all i have things to do sometimes <laughs> but i'm sure one of the two of you did wow. i'm sure wow i'm sure wow i am per- i feel personally attacked by that uh-huh you should <laughs> no i uh i i actually was only able to see the first half as well and i was a little bit distracted i had a family thing so we're all going to be relying on rob about to, to uh to tell us what happened here but in the parts i saw it seemed fine i don't know the camera angle kind of was you know, it was, it was very high school, very, very high school field camera angle. So it's kind of tough to tell exactly what was going on. Rob, what do you see? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I had the great pleasure of having to cover the U.S. national team game. So I only had one <laughs> eye on the first half, too. So but, you know, I think I think the most more most important takeaway from that is the formation and what they played, because that's the most interesting thing to me is like, I really think they're. I really last year we saw at the in the preseason we saw Frank DeBoer come out with this really attacking three four three system that was just so attacking and we really didn't have the personnel for it. I really feel like he's gonna try that again this year from everything we've seen. So and from what I saw, the midfield again struggled just because you have Rometty and Heinemann and they're just so different players and I don't really don't think they're on the same page yet. So and yeah. obviously you have the big question mark at left wing back and you don't know what you're going to get from Lennon yet. I mean, there's so many question marks. I'm really interested to see how it's going to come together. So a couple things for me. First, I'm really glad we got someone who was able to really dig into this game for the show. For the show. And I'm, I'm, the blame is on all of us. Uh, I, you know, uh, to your point, Rob, I, I totally agree with the whole, with the issue about the starting lineup. And, to me, it is interesting as to whether Frank DeBoer is do is starting with a three. It, a, what do we call this? A three four three? Can we can we can we call it that? Let's call it a three four three. It's interesting to me that he's going with that, and is that out of necessity because he just doesn't feel like he has the central midfielders right now to really play anything else? 
Um, or is that how he feels the team is most comfortable playing because of that's pretty much the way they ended last season when, I mean, he started to sprinkle in the back four a little bit. Um, but is that the reason why, you know, I think it'll be more interesting. We'll start to see now that Rosetto's come in, who knows, maybe they make another signing, but I think the next, uh, the next couple of games will give us another indication as to what the preferred formation will be. I have a feeling the preferred formation is a back four, uh, but he's just kind of going to a back three right now, mainly out of necessity in terms of the players that he has at his disposal. I have a, I have a, I have a take on this. I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it one more time on the podcast because nobody reads words anymore. Um, I think it all has to do with Pitti and, and Barco. For me, they're not good wingers. They're not go- good wide. Like, like Joe always says, they always like to come inside and work from the middle. And I think that's why you're seeing the formation that we're seeing. We have to have some kind of width to, you know, push the defenders back and open up that space. So having those wing backs gives you that natural width. So getting Tito or Tito. Wow. I'm really, it's just so it's, it hurts so much. Um, Barco and pity getting them central, getting them in those creative areas to, and to get close to Joseph. I think that's the biggest reason why you're seeing this formation. And that's why you're going to see it going forward. In my opinion, I just don't think the four, three, three is viable right now. The thing I worry about is our two central midfielders enough in in this formation like is that enough solidity kind of in that area of the pitch who knows well no no it's not but (laughs) they call it they call it a yolo formation for some reason and we're gonna we always said we'd rather win five four than win one nil or whatever however you want to say it and yeah hopefully if that's the way they're gonna go when with the midfielders we have obviously that's the way they need to go so if that if that if that's how they're gonna choose to play this formation but who knows? Yeah. yeah. yeah we, I, we tried this last year <laughs> for like two games and then everyone kind of got scared out of it. And I always kind of wondered if that was Frank's like true vision for all this. You know, and we've talked a lot about the shifting landscape of the team and how it kind of correlates a little more with, with what Frank wants from this. And I'm wondering, part of me wonders if we aren't going to see that switch to a back four because Frank is always one of the three, four, three. And this is just what we're going to do now. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that was the craziest thing about the whole narrative of last season was that Frank DeBoer started the team in a 3-4-3 and everybody said it was crazy that the team's results were lacking because they were playing this crazy formation that, you know, was it was should not be played. And then he went to the four things were more or less the same than they were with the three at the back. And then we went to the three at the back, what, after starting with that Houston game toward the end of last season, and everybody was ecstatic about it again because they started scoring. All which says to me, all of it says to me is that the formation is not as big of a deal as just getting the right personnel in the right positions on the pitch in place. And I think that with Atlanta United, if they can bring in a really solid number six, then I think they could go to a back four I, the the issue for me with this team and what I'm really going to be looking for in the Birmingham game um, is that is the the distribution from the back and how that works because last year the team had Leandro Gonzalez Perez who was very technical and comfortable on the ball and could actually distribute from that position and so the team didn't really need somebody like a defensive midfielder who could really you know get the ball to the playmakers as much and now you've got Meza who we'll see how good he is at that but by all accounts he's not like 
really known for his work on the ball. Um, partnered with a guy like Miles Robinson, and then if you have like a Jeff Lorenowitz or even a Darlington Net, or I'm, I'm sorry, a, a Eric Rometty oh kind of at the gosh, base of midfield, <laughs> <laughs> then then who's actually distributing getting the ball to the attackers from from the base of defense? So I'll be in- interested to see how that all plays out. Do we know who's on this team still? <laughs> I, I, I'm lost. Oh. I don't know, man. So okay, speaking of that, George Bellow. What is Person. what is going to be the deal with him? Because I thought he was going to be playing like a lot in these preseason games, and I feel like he's play he's come as, on as a sub a couple times, and then did he play against Ells- Ellsberg? I, he did not play in the parts I, I saw. He played left center back against Ellsberg. Believe it or not. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. We're going full pep. Bella's playing left <laughs> center back. We're going to Franco right center back. It's going to be you know crazy. Yeah, with Miles back there just to like cover up everything. Exactly. That, that's fascinating. I man, I he's still seventeen, right? That is right. He's seventeen, eighteen. Shit. He turned eighteen I, in January. I, I 18, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so still extremely young, and it's just it's so I don't know iffy on him. And, and coming off a year, we had a ton of injuries and stuff like that. I know they don't want to rush him back, but he instantly in my mind just seems like a better option and a more progressive and thoughtful option than than Castillo. At this point, it's got to be him, right? If they don't bring anyone in, right? Nodding, nodding heavily over here, nodding heavily at that. Yeah, yeah. Castillo's right. been Castillo's not been impressive at all. Which Rob warned us all about. Look, I'm I'm a U.S. national team fan, so I have previous experience with Mr. Edgar, Edgar Castillo. I'm not gonna sit this one out and leave the judgment to you guys. Uh, we do have we do have uh, what's his name? Michael Rooney, Michael, Michael, um, Mulraney? Michael Mulraney, excuse me, Jack Mulraney. Is he on the team now? Jack I don't know. <laughs> Shout out Casey McInerney, his sister works for the team. Anyway, like, uh, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, Mulraney. Yeah, I mean, he's shown some glimpses of being promising. He's got great speed. I'm still not sure if he's left-footed or right-footed. He played on the left and tried to whip in balls with his left foot all 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 game against Elfsberg and you know hit the defender like 15 times. But I can't really tell which foot he is. But I mean, he looks promising, so it's something. The Dion Pereira replacement. I did like how direct he seems to be, Mulraney. It's like he gets the ball in the, one of those wide spaces and he's going to make you know he's like a one cut running back. You know, just he's going to make one move and then go, and uh, he's probably going to get his cross blocked and out for a corner. Corners are important. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mainly saw out of him. Fascinating. Uh, this is a mess. Who, who knows at this point? There's probably more people coming in. There's probably a brand new CBA coming in. Well, Santiago Arzamendia is going to get the most playing time, obviously. <laughs> everyone everyone knows he's getting signed because that one tweet on Twitter said he was getting signed. So mm. we're just waiting every any day now for it to be announced. I'm waiting for all these players that keep getting connected to us because they have the same color jersey to come in. Like three different guys with like red and black striped jerseys have been connected <laughs> with us. And it's just, it's so True. obvious. Oh, God. Um, well, obviously there's some needs left on this team. I, I think it's, it's strange to think that we really haven't gotten better at a lot of positions. Not that we were that far off from doing a lot of really, really, really good things last year. I mean, you were a Nick De Leon goal away from MLS Cup, which got to think you at least, you know, coming with a really, really strong chance hosting at home again. Um, there wasn't a ton to, to really improve, but so much has been lost. And 
not a whole lot of people have come in. So, so what it, for you guys is, is the most pressing thing still left to do uh, throughout all this? Is, is it that left wing back position, Joe? Well, if I were Josh, Josh Bagrianski, I would say a backup right back. <laughs> but um, I still think it's a it's a defensive midfielder for me. And I know that we the team just signed Rosetto, who's a, a central midfielder himself. But I would still like to see a, a a defensive midfielder, one who can distribute the ball. That's what I'm 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 worried that the team does not have enough distribution from the back. And so I, that's the 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 profile of player I would like to see. I'm kind of half suspecting that they won't bring anyone else in, that that was the last signing we'll see in this window. But um, if I could pick one position, that would be it. Fan base panic level if no one else comes in. All the way at like 10 up um, to 11. Well, I, it's tough because I feel like people are pretty happy today. But we'll see. You never know what tomorrow brings. I, would, I guess it would probably be pretty high. I think their panic level will be a nine until DSS writes about it. Then it'll be a two, and we'll, <laughs> and then we'll be like the the evil, the evil uh, Grant. You was the only one willing to call out the team. <laughs> hey, I I I, I, I I just thought of something um, because I hadn't even realized. So when I'd been thinking about the team and some of the depth on the team, I'd always been using Tito as like the backup striker. So is Adam John like legit the backup striker, or is there another player that we have on the team that could play in that role? Because I do not want to see Adam John on the well, field, if at all possible, except well, for I mean, coming coming on at the last second. Apparently, we have Josh Wolf's son now, so he's obviously going to play a part somehow. I mean, he has to. I mean, Carlos Bocanegra is the technical director. It all <laughs> the pieces fit. I mean, I'm a conspiracy guy. I'm I'm going in full hard on this one. He's going to be the second leading goal scorer on the team. I have seen Carlos Bocanegra and Josh Wolf eating their pregame meal together, so there is that. Going back to the the, the the transfer market needs, in my opinion, if we really want to make the four three three viable, we need a true winger. We've already been linked to a couple this this off season. I think I'd love to see a true winger brought in. Yeah, it, it uh, is there? You you yeah, said good. we've been linked to some. Or is there? I'm trying to think of. Uh, oh yeah, there was the guy you from. You, uh, the, you literally just Olympics wrote about it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Dad, we should we should read this website we run sometimes. I don't know. Might help. Uh, Winger might it was, help. It was the too. Super Bowl last night. A lot of brain cells were killed. Yeah, Joe. Joe has Joe lives the content life. He gets, he forgets about it the second he posts it, and I, I respect that about him. <laughs> That's exactly how it should be. Um, hopefully you guys at least remember something we said today, and hopefully you don't forget everything we said here on Five Stripe Final. Uh, if you want to hear more from us, uh, go ahead and follow Rob at, at Rob Usry, R-O-B-U-S-R-Y. Uh, you can follow Joe at J Patrick 200 You can follow me at J underscore Sam Jones. And, of course, follow Dresel Sock uh, on the Twitters as well. Go check out our Facebook. Go check out the website, even though we don't. Uh, don't be like us actually read these things and be prepared. Be prepared to go into pubs and, and yell at your friends about this kind of stuff. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we get out of here? Yeah, no uh, no personal attacks in the comments. Yeah, Chris. Wait, was that a personal attack? Oh, well. Anyway. Rob, thanks for joining us today, man. We appreciate you, and I appreciate you, of course, uh, setting up the entire 
world of Dirty Sauce Soccer that we now have, like, growing by the day with Twitch streams and podcasts and, and the most listened to podcast network on SB Nation. That, that's, that's pretty damn thank impressive. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. TikTok thank you. Thank you. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, for real, thank you all for, for listening. Uh, and we know we're riding the coattails of Mott's a little bit, but uh, we know we have our small little army of people uh, that, that checks in just about every other episode. So we, we appreciate you. And we appreciate you following us in Dirty Soul Soccer. Joe, should we get out of here? Let's get out of here. See all right, y'all. Bye, y'all.